Greetings and salutations. What's up, everybody? It is ESK, Friendly Neighborhood Spencer Man, on Thursday, June 22nd. 10 things I like about UFC Jacksonville, UFC on ABC5, headlined by a terrific featherweight fight between Josh Emmett and Aliyah Tapuria. We dive right in. Item number one, a critical test for Aliyah Tapuria. This is proper progression. This is the right way to build up an emerging talent. The steps that have been taken with Aliyah Tapuria throughout his UFC run, five fights so far, have been perfect. I wrote about this for a story that we'll publish tomorrow on OSDB Sports, basically tracking the way he has progressed. First two fights, kind of under the radar. The debut was short notice against Yusuf Zalal. The sophomore appearance against Damon Jackson was the second fight of the night on an eight-fight card in the middle of the pandemic on Fight Island. Like, it was as low-key as you can get. And he went out and he smashed Damon Jackson. And that was really the point that triggered for a lot of people that this is someone to keep tabs on and pay attention to. Beats Ryan Hall in the first round. Watched that back earlier in the week. Broadcasters were surprised that Ilya Tapuria was the favorite in that fight. Goes out, gets him out of there in the first round. Gets hurt in the fight against Jai Herbert. Gets a step up there. He sort of, not really necessarily the step up, but moved up a division, I should say. Went over to London, fought Jai Herbert, got that win. Was supposed to fight Mavsari Vloyev earlier in the year. Vloyev got removed, got hurt, got removed. Charles Rodin jumped in. Tapuria had weight cut problems. That's how that came about. And then at the end of last year, goes out and fights Bryce Mitchell. Battle of two ranked young fighters, and he just dominates that fight. And so now he gets this this next test, the next step up, and it is the correct progression. Josh Emmett is coming off. He lost in the interim title fight earlier this year at UFC 284 against Yair Rodriguez. But he's a veteran, tenured member of the top five, top 10. He is a dangerous opponent. I talked about this on the podcast on Monday. He is being overlooked in this fight. He is being a little bit written off in this fight as sort of just a one-trick pony, just a guy with a right hand. I don't believe that to be the case. I think he is a dangerous matchup for Aliyah Tapuria here. And I'm I'm fascinated to see how this guy does. 26 years old, 13-0, 5-0 in the UFC, four straight finishes. Everything has been great. Everything has been great so far, including getting rocked by Jai Herbert and rallying back and looking good, getting him out of there. 67 seconds into the second round in London last year. But this is the test. And this is, this is why I love these things. I know I talk about it every week on this, on this series, but these are the, these are the things, these are the moments. Tapuria told me on Tuesday that he's the best in the world, that the hype is real, that he's looking forward to proving it. And there's always going to be doubters, but you're going to find out on Saturday that he is the best. And I can't wait to find out. The only way we find out is through matchups like this, is through fights like this. And if he wins this one, I think he's on to a championship opportunity because if Alexander Volkanovsky retains his title, unifies the belt, beats Yair Rodriguez in July, what's next for the Australian? Fascinating fight. Cannot wait for this one. So pumped. Hope you're getting there too. Item number two, a terrific pairing at flyweight. Amanda Hibas and Macy Barber are the co-main event. Love that this fight is getting a little bit of spotlight. It's not on the it's not on the poster, and I understand that. 
but it is a great fight at a pivotal time for each of these women on a big card that is going to draw eyeballs on ABC. And I can't wait to see how this one plays out. Hebos has looked good, very good to some degree in her last couple fights at flyweight. First one against Caitlin Chukagian was just kind of a one-off of fight got canceled. She took a fight up, up a division, stuck around because she did okay. Looked great last time out against Viviani Araujo. Macy Barber, I honestly believe the best thing that ever happened to her was that loss to Roxanne Modafari and Alexa Grasso because it just forced her to really look inward in terms of everything she was doing. Since then, she has settled in at Team Alpha Male. She has settled in at who she is and how she needs to fight. And she's looked good since. Four straight victories coming into this one. Coming off a good hard-fought win over Andrea Lee last time out. Both women ranked in the top 15. I don't necessarily think that this carries either into title contention. I know Amanda Hibas has been talking about that a little bit of if I win this one, then I'm next for the title. I don't think that's the case. But this is going to tell us where they stand, who's further ahead in that chase to challenge for championship gold, and just what to expect from each of them over the next couple of years as they continue to sharpen their skills and, and hone their talents. Great fighters, both under 30, 12 and three for Hebos, 12 and two for Macy Barber. Great records in the octagon, should be a terrific fight. Item number three, main card heavies that will deliver. I know that historically on this show, on the Severe MMA preview show back in the day, we would lament the main card heavyweights because it was often one of these fights where it was two guys that if they didn't get it done in the first round, it was going to turn into an absolute slog and the chances of them getting it done in the first round were actually less than you anticipated. Just because they're heavyweights doesn't mean they're going out there and putting people out quickly and early and in explosive fashion. I think Austin Lane and Justin Taffa is the exception to that rule. These two dudes know nothing other than going out and getting somebody out of there early. They are willing to put themselves in harm's way to get there. I think it's an interesting fight because Austin Lane is making his UFC debut. He's a former Jacksonville Jaguar, so this is a little bit of a homecoming. And he's got to prove that he belongs, right? He's one of these guys to me that coming off the contender series, coming through the regional ranks, the resume, the record on paper looks really good. 12 and three, 12 and four, I think something like that. Bunch of knockouts, bunch of finishes, couple wins over, over guys, you know, their names, including Juan Adams in a fourth round victory to win the Fury FC heavyweight title. But now it's the big leagues. Now it's the real deal. And Justin Taffa can crack. He's put his last two opponents out, Harry Hunsucker and Parker Porter. Looked very good in that fight against Parker Porter. Got him out of there in a hurry. I think this one ends inside of five minutes. I think we get, and the UFC gets more importantly, or maybe not more importantly, maybe this is a bad thing, but I think we get the kind of heavyweight fight that the UFC has been hoping for when they book these heavyweights on the main card. Please don't prove me wrong. Please don't prove me wrong. I want to say I will eat this hat if I'm wrong, but I don't want to eat this hat because I like this hat. Item number four, pivotal moment for Brandon Allen. I talked about it on one question yesterday. Will Brendan Allen avoid the banana peel? This is it, man. This is, 
these are the ones. And, and I love getting to see these fights for athletes as they kind of continue to progress to these spots. Brendan Allen got to the UFC relatively young, started his career relatively young, has been very good for the whole of his career. Always looked like somebody that could take that next step. And the first two times he got to a point where it felt like he could be taking that next step, he's faltered. Lost to Sean Strickland, lost to Chris Curtis. No shame in either of those. Sean Strickland has proven himself to be a stalwart in the top 10. Chris Curtis, a very good veteran fighter that if you take, if you underestimate him, he is going to make you pay. He is going to beat you the way that he did Brendan Allen in his second fight in the UFC. Chris Curtis's second fight in the UFC, Brendan Allen's, uh, let me see math in my head real quick, seventh fight in the UFC. Since then, BA has grabbed four straight wins, three of them by stoppage. Last time out, he submitted Andre Muniz. It carried him into the rankings. He is at the highest point he has been in his career, both in the UFC and overall professionally, and he feels on the cusp. Middleweight is always open for athletes to move forward. There's always opportunities for guys to put together four, five, six wins and get into championship contention. Sometimes it doesn't even take four, five, six wins. We've seen that with Drickus Duplessis, who has just scaled the rankings relatively quickly because he's had the right matchups and the right results. BA's on that track. He's got to get through this one against Bruno Silva, though. This is the, this is the banana peel. This is the trap fight. Because if he goes out there and underestimates this dude and believes, I'm just going to roll through him. I was supposed to be facing Jack Hermanson. I was supposed to be main eventing. Going to go go out there and truck this dude and he's got nothing for me. He could end up looking at the lights. This is a critical fight. I'm de desperate to see how it plays out. I have thought highly of Brendan Allen the whole way through. He is part of the Fighters I Can't Quit group. I've talked to him a bunch of times. I believe in his talents. Now it's time to see if the IQ and the preparation and the execution can come up to the same level as those talents. Item number five, a mirror match between Neil Magny and Phil Rowe. I'm a nerd. I love Scott Pilgrim versus the world. There's a point in the movie where Michael Sarah playing Scott Pilgrim is doing the whole Dance Dance Revolution thing. And he ends up having to fight basically the same version of himself, right? I think that's what we've got here. Just a slightly di slight age difference, big experience difference between Neil Magny and Phil Rowe. Neil Magny's 35. Height is the same, reach is the same. Phil Rowe is 32. This is a cool fight to me. I've been interested in Phil Rowe for a long time. I kind of started to get off the bandwagon when he lost to Gabe Green because he didn't look interested in that fight. I don't know what, what it is. I haven't had a chance to talk to Phil Rowe. I would like to ask him now that we're a few years removed from it. What, what was going on there? You looked like you didn't want to be in there. Since then, he's looked very good. Three straight stoppage wins. Neil Magny is somebody I have championed for a long, long time. He is part of that group of fighters that I talked about on Monday's podcast, along with the Josh Emmett's of the world and the Caitlin Chukagians and fighters like that, that have been stalwarts in their division, but never rose to the absolute top that still deserve recognition and praise and all the flowers you can give them. This is the guy with the most wins in welterweight history. And same as when I was talking about Jim Miller. You can say that it's longevity and I will counter with, do you know how hard it is to have this kind of longevity? 
and overall success in the UFC. If it were easy, more guys would do it. I'm looking forward to seeing this fight because it is two guys with 80 inch, 80 inch reaches in the welterweight division. I think, as I said yesterday on one question, that Phil Rowe can kind of take over for Neil Magny, potentially, in terms of being the long, rangy, dangerous guy, maybe just outside of the top 15, that you don't really want to be in there with, that can make you look bad, that is going to be a bad night at the office for you, regardless of who you are. I think it's going to be a cool fight to watch as well. Like just visually the way it plays out, I think it's going to be cool. So I'm looking forward to this one. Item number six, sophomore lightweight grapplers. Mateusz Rombetsky and Loik Radzbov love this fight. I love it. Normally I'm not somebody that advocates for putting two ascending fighters together this early in their UFC career. But I think it makes sense here. Rombetsky is 30 years old. He's 17 and one overall. He's coming off a good, but not great performance against Nick Fiore. Radzibov is a little bit older, a little bit more experienced at 17 and four coming off a good win in his debut against Brian Battle, just out wrestled him. No, I think I got that wrong. I'm thinking of Renat Fakradinov that out wrestled Brian Battle. I can't remember who Radzibov beat, but it was a good win. And I just think this is one of those fights where you put them together now and the winner takes a good step up. The winner moves forward at a little more of an accelerated pace than we normally see because they are more experienced, because they are a little bit older than your typical sort of new entrance into the UFC, right? This is their rookie campaign for each of them. And I think the winner, especially if it is a dominant performance or a really standout performance, gets a bit of a push here. And I want to see who it is. Radzibov is somebody that anybody that paid attention to him outside of the UFC knows the caliber, knows the quality of him. If this is your introduction in the UFC last time out, you already see that he's a good fighter and somebody that's going to be interesting in this division. I think Rambetsky is better than he showed against Nick Fiore. I can't wait to see this one. Should be a lot of fun. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we get a bunch of wrestling and grappling exchanges and we get to nerd out about transitions and scrambles and reverses and things like that. Item seven, standout strawweight grapplers. Tab of the Ricci, Jillian Robertson, let's go. So pumped for this fight. It is on the prelims. It is a terrific fight. Tab of the Ricci, 3-0 since moving down to strawweight after losing her debut at flyweight to Manon Firo, who is a legitimate championship contender. Jillian Robertson returned to strawweight last time out, dominated Piero Rodriguez, put her on the ground, set up and then executed an armbar in the second great finish. She has the most submission wins in UFC female history of any female fighter, I should say, in UFC history. She's excellent when she has top position. She has some flaws in other spaces. Really just want to see how this plays out. Richie is somebody I haven't necessarily been sold on because I've been hesitant to back a fighter that is not one dimensional, but so predominantly leans into one area, one facet of her game. But she showed against Jessica Panay last time out that the striking's getting better. She's working with the crew at Black House. It's getting better. It is improving. And the grappling is for real. And I need to remember sometimes in these instances that the women's game is a little bit behind the men's still. It's catching up. That gap is narrowing. But there's still room for 
dominant one skill fighters like Jillian Robertson, like Tabitha Ricci to have a great deal of success. They clash here, much like the fight between Rumbetsky and Radzibov. I am hoping we basically get BJJ, no gi BJJ inside the octagon. That's what I want. I want a no gi grappling match inside the octagon where these two just allow me and anyone else that loves that stuff to geek out staring at the screen on Saturday morning. I hope it happens. Item number eight, Trevor Peak Chaos. I am not necessarily sold or convinced that Trevor Peak is a guy that is going to have an extended run in the UFC, but I will tell you this here now. I'm going to enjoy the hell out of every single one of his fights because this dude is a lunatic. He comes out there throwing, I was going to say like I would, but like I think I have more understanding of technique than this dude. And all I've ever done is hit the heavy bag down in my garage six times. Like his fight with Eric Gonzalez was just dude going ham. This was two kids meeting at the bike rack after school to settle some beef because one stole the other one's girlfriend or lunch money or whatever it may be. And I'm here for it. Like as much as I nerd out over technique and transitions and the artistry and the beauty of this sport at times. I'm also the dude that was out here and will be as always telling you that I like fist fights, pizza and dogs. Like my guy is all about fist fights. So I'm all about seeing him. It's not necessarily pretty. I don't think he moves beyond sort of the bottom third of the division, but he's eight. No, with eight finishes takes on Chepi Marshall here in a short notice pairing. So, you know, he's going to want to look to get him out of there and get a second win. And I'm here for it. Like Saturday morning, hot cup of coffee, some scrambled eggs, some bacon and Trevor peak going ham. Sign me up. Sign me up again. As always simple man, fist fights, pizza and dogs. It's all I need. This guy's going to get into a fist fight. It's all he knows how to do. Let's go. Item nine, Emmers versus Jenkins is perfect. It's perfect. This is one of those fights that I can already see the tweets. I can already hear the people being like, ugh, about this fight, but those folks ain't paying attention. And I invite them as always to subscribe to Keyboard Kimura. Click that QR code up there. If you're watching on the YouTube, go to spencerkite.substack.com. If you're just listening to the audio version, if this has just crossed your path through IG or Twitter, go check it out. Jamal Emmers is way better than people understand. He was very good on the regional circuit on his way up to the UFC. Since getting there, he is two and two. The losses are to Giga Chikadze and Pat Sabatini, two very good fighters in the featherweight division. He showed his class last time out, just out everythinging Hussein Ashkabov in Ashkabov's debut. Jack Jenkins is someone that I think is better than his first showing indicated. I'm curious to, to see if that is proven true. That plays out on Saturday. Won his debut against Jack Shanus at UFC 284 in Perth earlier this year. Contender Series grad, a little bit older, as I said, sort of similar to Rambetsky and Radzibov, a little bit older in terms of getting to the UFC's 30 years old, former eternal MMA champion. I just think this is the, the perfect sort of matchup for each guy at this point. Emmers, you get the opportunity to prove 
that the win over Ashkabov was more about your skill and your abilities than his deficiencies by going in there with somebody that has more experience against good competition that already has a UFC victory. And you get the chance to post another win and get moving forward and, and take some steps forward in the featherweight division. And if you're Jenkins, you beat Don Shanus, you got the first one out of the way. Now you get a step up. Now you get a guy that has four fights in the UFC that has two good wins that hurt Pat Sabatini in that fight very early on that lost his debut on short notice to Giga Chikadze by split decision. Dude is no slouch. You go out and win this one. It says a little something about you and it carries you forward in the featherweight division. I think it is terrific matchmaking. Shouts to Sean Shelby and McMaynard who have been doing a tremendous job all year. This is another example of it. Can't wait to see it. Item 10, Tatsuro Taira's next test. If you know me, if you've been listening to this show, if you've been listening to anything over the last 18 months, you know I love me some Tatsuro Taira. Takes on Clayton Rodriguez in the opener. I don't think it's the opener. I always forget fight between Cody Brundage and Cedricus Dumas got shuffled around in, in the fight order, in the bout order as Brundage jumped in as a short, as a short notice replacement for Puna Soriano. That fight is actually going to be the opener. And I, I know I forgot it on one question for every fight. I apologize. I apologize guys. Back to Tatsuro Tyra. 23 years old, 13 to 0, 3 and 0 in the UFC. What more is there not to like? What more is there not to be excited about? Everybody wants to talk about, and I've seen already people do the like, ah, this fight is the opener and it's this and it's that. And the UFC doesn't fight card placement in terms of our assessment and our understanding of skill and talent and ability shouldn't matter. That's not to say that this fight shouldn't be further up the card, that the UFC doesn't make mistakes in where they place people. That's certainly the case. There's a group of people out there that still see main card fights must be the absolute best, even though we that cover this sport and talk about this sport know that that isn't the case. You see that here. Tyra versus Rodriguez is one of the better fights on this card. They are both terrific prospects in the flyweight division. As I said yesterday, you can see them each being top 15 fixtures in the not too distant future. But I love this test for Tetsuro Tyra. He has been able to be poised and calm and calculating throughout his first three UFC appearances. That may not be on the table for him on Saturday because KR is crazy. Dude's going to come across the cage. He's going to get in his face. He's going to get after him as we saw him do against Shannon Ross at UFC 284. I think it is a competitive fight. I think it's a fascinating fight. And I'm really curious to see if Tyra can keep winning continue posting victories, remain undefeated and take another step forward because I think a top 15 matchup awaits whoever wins this fight. And if it's Tyra, that excites me even more because that's my guy and I want to see how far he goes. Before we get out of here, check out the boys at One Bone, onebonebrand.com. Rocking the polo. I have to tell you of all the stuff I have, it is my favorite. They came out a couple of weeks ago. I got this one, the off-white. I got the black one. I'm going golfing on Monday. We'll be wearing the black one. They're the best. Everything they do is fantastic. Don't have to just take my word for it. Promotional sort of shoot and, and campaign. That's the word I'm looking for. Coming together, coming out pretty soon with UFC light heavyweight champion, Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill. So if you got Sweet Dreams on board, 
that's going to tell you something. If he's recognizing, then you can take his word and my word. If you do check them out, use promo code ESK20 at checkout for 20% off your order. As always, check out the QR code if you are watching on YouTube up in the top left corner. Scan that, get yourself to the Keyboard Kimura Substack page where you can subscribe for free for five bucks a month or for $50 for the year. You get all of this content right into your email as soon as I hit publish on everything. Keeps you up to date and informed about every fight and every fighter on every UFC card every single week. Rain or shine, I will be here. Save for those couple of weeks that I took a little vacation between severe and coming back here. But going forward, I will be here as frequently as humanly possible. It will take serious illness or my wife telling me that I need to take a break because we're going to do something else for me not to be here. But she doesn't do that very often because she supports these endeavors and I love her to pieces for it. So go check that out. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite as you see at the bottom of the screen. As you can tell, I am starting to get pumped. We're only a couple of days away from UFC Jacksonville. Josh Emmett, Ilya Tapuria. Should be a fantastic fight card. I hope you are getting excited. Hope you enjoyed the program. See you tomorrow for the PDPs and for the betting show. Until then, be good to one another. Take care of yourselves. Know that I love you. We'll talk to you soon.